This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today, we are going to be reviewing Prodigy, episode 106, because the show is back from its hiatus. Uh, we'll be talking about the episode Kobayashi. And we will also be rolling in some uh, interview bites from co-executive producer and now showrunner Aaron Waltke. And of course, we have reviews from Annie and David, Tony's niece and nephew. But first, we're going to start with the news, and we've got some big news from the set of Star Trek Picard, which has shut down because of a COVID outbreak. A lot of productions are coming back from holiday break, and some some are choosing not to come back. They decided to start up on Monday, and according to multiple industry reports, you know, the trades, over 50 people tested positive, and they just immediately shut down and this is you know this is going to get into the weeds but hollywood productions break things into zones now that's how covid protocols work so if you work in zone c you're not allowed to talk to anyone in zone b etc and they're saying this is covering multiple zones including zone a which is the actors but the good news is uh, according to deadline patrick stewart is not included but some cast are included but we yeah. don't know who so they there are about 450 people on that entire production crew, you know, cast and production people. So that's like more than 10%. Oh, I mean, that's this Omicron thing is the worst. I mean, it is just, you know, even though it's milder, you know, and we did have some fun with it last couple of weeks ago with Star Trek pronouncing Omicron, um, <laughs> you know, it it is just it's like god it's 2022 we can't believe this is happening again yeah i mean i feel like there was a time where so many of us didn't really know people who had it and now i mean we all know tons of people who have it or are just getting over it but this is the biggest number i've heard from a production so far yeah it's 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 a lot i mean maybe they all went to like a, a holiday party together who knows um but it's just, you know, on sets, they're taking, everything is very, very strict. So imagine that with all of those precautions, it's still spreading. It spread during the hiatus is the problem. So if they never went on break, they probably wouldn't have this problem. If they didn't let people go see their families. Well. <laughs> you know, like, you know, remember what the NBA did for a season? They put everyone, you know, in a complex and said, in what they called the bubble and said, you can't you know, no contact with the outside yeah, world. That's not going to happen with production people, with, with 450 <laughs> production people. But still, we are, we hope that nobody's really, really sick. We hope that everyone recovers quickly. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just terrible. To be clear, this is season three. <laughs> right. Um, season two actually wrapped at, at the beginning of September because, but because they like had a seven month delay, to start shooting that they just said let's just immediately the next day start on season three so and, and apparently they're going to start production up again next week you know, discovery had one of these hiatuses last year strange new worlds actually had a positive test but they were able to kind of power through it because it didn't affect any anyone important enough i guess um so but this is this is 50 people i mean I'm surprised they said they could start up so quickly, but uh, the show must go on, I guess. Well, if it can, it will. And if it can't, everybody needs to chill out and give them some time. Yeah. <laughs> there is now an open question. So Strange New World season two, even though Paramount Plus is yet to like officially say they're doing it, they are doing it. Frakes has talked about it. Other people have talked about it. Um, so it it's supposed to start in like four weeks in Toronto. But uh, what's the latest coming out of Ontario? Toronto, it's shut. They've shut down completely again. So restaurants, there's no more indoor dining. So things were opening up when I was last there, which was November. You could go into restaurants, you had to show vaccination. But now it's everything is, is shut down again. Well, not, I mean, but film productions aren't shut down. I mean, there was a point where you weren't allowed to even do filming. So right, right. some That's, businesses are shut down. That right, just happened this a, week. They're in a different category for sure. But they might... Who knows? I mean, you know, a lot happens in a few weeks, and it's just the first week of January right now. There's some people who say, you know, if you follow the example of how this went in South Africa, which was where this all kind of started, it got 
better. Like we're in a few weeks is supposedly going to get better. So maybe things by February will be better, you know, fingers crossed uh, for, you know, everyone and their families. Yeah. And, and, uh, and everyone they've come in contact with over the last few weeks. Um, we do actually have other Picard related news from earlier in the week coming from our old friend, our chatty pal, Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> Just a little bit of news where he gave us a little more juicy stuff about Star Trek Picard. Juicy, but not as juicy as some people thought it was. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we all know that John Lancey is back. So in one interview, he talks about being back on the set with John Lancey, with Brent Spiner and with Patrick Stewart, all just you know having fun, reuniting together. And he said it's one of his favorite scenes ever. You know, which is nice. And he, again, noted that Spiner is playing Sung, which we believe is a new Sung, not the Sung he played last season or any of the Sungs he played before. <laughs> so many Sungs. God, this family is crazy. And they all look just like each other. Yeah. That's TV families for you. The website that reported this then contextualized the comment to say that Frakes shared a scene with Brent Spiner and John Delancey as if he's appearing as Riker, right? Which people, you know, I saw like posts on Reddit saying confirmed Jonathan Frakes back as Riker in Picard, you know, and it's not true. So I double checked and. You did some sleuthing. Yeah, he was just talking. It's 100%. He was just talking about directing, at least for this scene. Like, maybe he'll show up as Riker some other time. But in 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 the case of what he was talking about, he was just saying he was doing a scene with them, but he's behind the camera there in front of the camera, which is still fun, right? But yes, not what some people thought. No, but still fun. And then he just, you know, he mentioned, obviously, like... He loves John Delancey as Q. He thinks he's one of the most complicated villains. Right up there with the Borg Queen, he says. So that makes us want to remind you that, yes, we will be seeing the Borg Queen on Star Trek Picard, played by Annie Worsing. I also saw someone pointed this out, which I totally forgotten, which is that on the show Timeless, which I'm a crazy huge fan of, even though it died a you know, after two short seasons, um, Annie Wershing was on it. And in it, she kills Susanna Thompson, who played the <laughs> Borg Queen on Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> she earned the right to take over the role, I guess. Yes. You know, that's basically it for other show stuff. We're now going to do Black Alert because we're going to talk a little bit about Discovery before we get into Prodigy. So we talked a little bit about this last week, which was the mid-season trailer that appear you know for the second half of the season that was at the end of last week's episode so we just want to cover anything that we didn't you know we had such a quick look at it last time um so there are a few more things that we've had a chance to notice and there's a nice article on the site that really breaks it down with with screen caps and all kinds of details that maybe you've missed and you'd like to read up on Little things like there's a scene in there, the couple scenes that sort of imply that S Species 10C is going to show up at Starfleet HQ. I mean, that's how they edit the trailer and the quotes they're saying. Um, and there's a scene with President Rillick, President Tarina, and Earth Defense Force General uh, Nagoye. Is it Nagoye? I think it's Nagoye. Which might indicate that Earth is coming into the fold, which we know is something that president wants and we've been talking about when are they going to rejoin but at least she's going to be at federation hq one other little thing last week we, we were saying maybe adira and gray are going to go off and have their own adventure at least from this trailer there's no indication there's more gray and we see various bits of adira back on the ship so it is possible that adira is just going to be back and that's going to be that or they just didn't put it in the trailer yeah i mean it's only it, a couple minutes there's plenty right. of room but Right, and it could just be a small side story. But yeah, I I think it's it's interesting that Gray isn't there and Adira's back. And as we talked about before, that you you can see Tilly for like a good half second there. Um I was happy even though I could you could kind of only see the top of her head. Um <laughs> Nana's back, which is great. But it's totally but you know, there's no way it's anyone else's top of their head with oh, that red hair. That red <laughs> hair? I've seen it at airports, at conventions. It's always her. 
Um, <laughs> um, there's going to be a little more. There's definitely more Reno and more Kovic coming, like a lot of Kovic this season and, and more Vance, who we've been missing. So it's good to know all those people will be back. And none. I'm really excited about seeing her again. I kind of, I, I just, I didn't understand why the choice was made <laughs> to get rid of her or maybe she booked something. I don't know, but I, I feel think like she was that, on some other show or something. Yeah, probably. Cause... I just think that position security chief is needed. And I thought she was a really interesting character. And she's in a new black security outfit, which we haven't seen anyone wear, actually. So it's not the armor. It's like it's like what they wear. Security people wear, you know, when they're not shooting at people, I guess. So, no, lots of great stuff in the trailer when you take a closer look. And that's all we've got until February 10th. Yep. Counting the days. Although I'm so happy that Prodigy's back. It's been a big, bright spot of my week watching Prodigy <laughs> over and over. <laughs> how many times have you watched this episode this episode i only watched three times maybe i, I actually i try to watch three times i do one clean watching like on my big tv not taking notes then i do a note taking pass and then i do a final pass with my notes next to me to see what i think are the most important things that's still stuck how many times did you watch it I think I'm. It might have been five, because well, you were doing interviews too, right? One of the passes was with David and Annie, and one was right before I interviewed the writers. So yeah, but I enjoyed it every time. There's like more layers. Of, I mean, this this is definitely an episode you should watch twice, and it's only 24 minutes long. So you know why not? Uh, so I guess we didn't do a transition to say let's now start talking about Kobayashi episode six of Star Trek Prodigy, but that's what we're doing apparently. You guys figured it out, right? Everybody figured it out. Yeah. You know, even though this hiatus wasn't planned, it kind of feels like a restart in a way to bring the show back for another arc of five episodes. And it definitely almost felt like a transition where, because early on, you know, and the Hagemans talked about this, they're like, look, don't worry, don't worry. You know, the show's going to get more and more Star Trek as we go along. And it's like, oh yeah, you know, this episode's, Definitely does that for sure. It's it's got a lot of Star Trek in this episode for sure. You think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we're almost in the details. Let me just start at a top level. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I mean, is it the best of the season? I mean, it's, it's like on one hand, you want to see, it's got so much fan service in it that you, you almost don't want to love it, you know, because it's like because it's so obviously geared for us to love. And you you don't want to you don't want to fall for it, but I still do. But the reason why I think it's great isn't because of all the fan service. It's because everything else is going on on top of that, and how yes, the fan service is in service of a greater character goal. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, which means it isn't fan service. It's more organic. So it's great. I love it. I'm 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 not a you know afraid to say so. It's fantastic. Yeah, I loved it. And I, I certainly enjoyed the fan service stuff a lot. It was, you know, I'm sure everybody who watches it is going to get a thrill out of it. It's funny because I was thinking if one of the live action shows had done something like this, I don't think I would have been as open to it or as happy about it. But this, first of all, it felt like it was made by true fans, which it was. But also, the, you're right, like it was serving the other story and the other story of Dal and his determination to beat this test at first for his ego and then to learn something it was so fantastic, great for kids and great for adults and reminded me of a very specific thing from my own childhood when I decided to learn something. So I thought it was great. I mean, he certainly has learned a lot about Starfleet operations. You know, he was doing bear rolls, ejecting the warp core. You know, by the end, you know, this was a crash course for him in many ways, including some basics. And, you know, and he learned Klingon proverbs. I mean, that his time in the holodeck was well served um, <laughs> on many levels. But when you but, saw Spock show up for the first time before he started speaking, like, what did you think was about to happen when you saw Spock? Did you think they're going to bring in a new voice actor? What did what did you imagine before you heard the the, the I mean, they were I didn't clips? I didn't pause it, so I didn't imagine. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> it just went boom. There it was. Like before, you know. Why did you have a, a like suspicion? for I, 
you know, my mind is like immediately like, oh my God, they're really going for it. And I started thinking, did they bring in a voice actor? Because I, you know, they brought in a voice actor to voice Spock for this new video game. And I was thinking, you know, is that what's happening here? Another, and maybe they're going to have him, maybe they're going to have Ethan Peck do it. Who knows, you know? And I was really surprised when you started hearing Leonard Nimoy come, you know, and like, oh my God, you know, they're really, because that's so complicated what they were doing. At times, especially with the Nimoy, it didn't. It was inconsistent is the problem because they took stuff from original series, from movies, from his, from him on TNG, like all these little bits. So not only did his, his voice changes like all of our voices do and will, you know, over the years and also the way that it was recorded changed. That would have been fine if they just did it in every chunk of him talking was all from the same source. But Sometimes, almost mid-sentence, they would grab something from the original series, then something from the movies, and then something go back to the original series, and it it was just it was too it was too obvious what they were doing, and but I'm you know in a way it's like it's fine it's fine I thought it was great yeah, I, um, I forgave it I mean I noticed it and but I forgave it and it was you know a lot of the Uhura dialogue specifically I recognized where it was from so that was fun i mean it was such a like and you'll see listeners you'll see later when we talk to david and annie about it because they're not star trek fans so how they reacted to it but i think for all of us star trek fans it was just a a joyful thing and we can forgive the small challenges i i still go back to how i think the dal being a kind of insufferable selfish jerk thing was you know, they, they couldn't carry that on any longer. It was time to, you know, move on. I mean, they had to do the pivot last week, not last week, but last episode with Gwyn. And now it was time for Dal to have his pivot. But what a great way to do it. Like they took this classic Star Trek thing that is always, you know, a, a pivotal point for people. And then they, and, and it was such a relatable thing especially i think of being a kid and my thing i won't get i won't describe it at length but when i decided i was tired of not knowing how to ride a two-wheeler when i was little i did something like doll where i just kept doing the same thing over and over and i was literally falling down (laughs) and i kept doing it over and over and over and over with that same anger and determination until i got it so i felt like that was such a kid-like thing to do and like his frustration, his emotion, it was all very beautifully portrayed. It felt like they came to the Kobayashi Maru after they knew where they were going with with Dal. That it wasn't like how how could we shoehorn this thing into an episode? Yeah. It was the it was the other way around, and that's why it felt earned and it worked. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Although we should mention that Gates McFadden, Dr. Crusher was there, but she is very much alive and capable of yes. recording audio. And she <laughs> she came back and did a great job. So they didn't have to uh, scour old TNG for her quotes. Um, right. but they did for James Doohan, Rene Aubergeois, and Nichelle Nichols. I mean, Nichelle Nichols is also still alive, by the way. Yes, very much alive. Um, but 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 frankly, not. She couldn't have done the recording. No, she couldn't. I just didn't want it to sound like we were right. not aware of that. And, but and and there was a nice acknowledgement at the end of the episode for those who've passed away, the three actors who passed away. I think the episode's dedicated to them, which it is was a really nice touch. You know, but what's amazing is that this is the thing that's going to get all the attention of Star Trek fans. But there's so much more going on. I, I arguably too much more going on in this episode because it's only, as I said, you know, 20 something minutes long. And there's kind of a big info dump of diviner proto star, you know, show lore of their own to deliver all in the same episode, all wrapped in Gwyn's new arc of her kind of finally becoming a member of the crew. Yeah. Last episode, she pivoted away from her dad this episode, she's like, yeah, I'm in the crew and and this is going to be my job, which is not just translating, but code breaking and and searching the ship for all this information stored within it. We learned a whole lot in this, some of which is a little confusing still, but I think that's 
part of the plan, right? Right. Some of it is sort of more set up, but with new, it's, I would say like they advanced um, a lot of the mysteries. They didn't solve them, but they, they took them to the next step. The one they've kind of nailed down is, yes, Gwen is a clone, basically. Right. Although not, not the same sex. They switched a couple chromosomes around, but Gwen was grown <laughs> in a tube, just like the Diviner likes to hang out in. So maybe he was a clone as well. That we don't know, but she's definitely a clone. Somehow, it's the flashback scene shows a different dynamic with Dreadnought the robot where the diviners seem to be like pleading with Dreadnought to help him. The the power dynamic seemed different. Did you I pick to- up on that? Yeah, I picked up the same thing. I thought that it was interesting that he was uh, sort of asking him to do something and trying to talk him into something. I mean, it was Dreadnought who said, we cannot defy the order. So Whatever the order is. Whatever the order is. So... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I took that as the order is a group. It's not the like a standing order, like Starfleet General Order One. The order is like some, you know, cabal of, you know, shadowy robed figures in control of the universe or something. Or, you know, it's something like that, right? I don't know. I actually thought that it was like an order, but who knows? <laughs> Maybe it, you're they right. They used the phrase a couple times of the order. Right. I, I noticed a capital T on the, you know, on that. It just felt like there's some group that is called the order and they are afraid of them or controlled by them or something. They make the rules. But more importantly, (laughs) Dreadnought and the Diviner are becoming characters that because up till now, they've been very one dimensional. They've been very, I'll get you my pretty and your little dog, too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Especially Dreadnought has just been. But there's a much bigger thing going on here, which is the math problem, um, where you do a there's two problems here. Okay, First, you you flash back to 17 years. And uh, that's well before the Protostar was ever launched, before Voyager left for the Delta Quadrant. And yet the Diviner has already and others have already been looking for the Protostar for many years yeah so there's that <laughs> which you know we're, you know it, it's got to be time travel it has to be the other thing that confused david my nephew and me and probably a lot of people is that why did Gwyn appear fully grown in the flashback right and aaron kind of said that that was you may have missed it but there was a transition there that you know to where the flashback stopped being a flashback and and when she was fully grown was more present day closer to present day i don't remember that flat that transition so you know maybe it was how it's animated but that's how it was intended so he's saying no she didn't come out of the tube as a 17 year old girl she did grow up like a you know normal person well sort of as normal as it can be being a clone of the diviner right Uh, but that was you know a nice little clarification we haven't even talked about this at the beginning it looks like they jumped into the gamma quadrant right because the janeway shows them a map they moved four thousand light years um but he clarified they didn't go into the gamma quadrant they were going towards the gamma quadrant so they're still in the they're still in the delta quadrant now here's here's the thing that like he pointed out, which now I I understand because you have to look at a map of the galaxy. What this means is they actually moved closer to the Alpha Quadrant, closer to the Federation, because of the way the four quadrants are, and because they started on the border of the Beta and right. Delta Quadrant. Right. So they're moving right to left if you're looking at the galaxy at the top. And that means they're getting closer to the galactic core, which I guess is going to be an issue at some point. Um, and they're going to have to go around it or something or jump over it. Who knows? <laughs> um, but they went 4,000 light years in. I mean, we don't know how long they were at proto-warp, but let's say, you know, an hour. Who knows? Uh, it seemed like. Yeah. She- I mean, if they were all feeling sick, an hour of that and they would have thrown up. So. That means if Voyager had such a drive and could run it constantly, they would have been home in a day. Mm-hmm. That thing is fast. And in fact, Janeway says when they open up the files and they finally reveal that the ship 
is the fastest ship in Starfleet, which, you know, is obvious, I guess. Uh, I was going to say, not a big surprise to people who've been, yeah. you know, taking keeping score. I mean, but do you feel like they were you know, not, we haven't even started talking about Chakotay. You know, I mean, like, there's just so much going on. Do you think like, they put too much in this episode? I know it's a weird thing to complain about, but was, you know, was there too much going on? I mean, it's if I, I can't look at it objectively, like I'm looking at it as someone who watches the episode multiple times. So for me, I would say no. And I mean, if I had small kids who were watching this, um, I have a, a teenager who sometimes watches it with me. Um, you know, I would probably watch it with them and then watch it again myself because there's so much going on. And I like I love something that's packed so dense because as I watch it, I'm seeing different things and I'm enjoying every minute of it. And there's. You know, when you watch, again, I watch these things multiple times. So if things get slow, they're really slow on your second and third watching. So to me, all this stuff packed in just kept my brain working. And I think kids like to have a lot of stuff packed in. That's true. I mean, there's so much going on. There's action. There's humor. You know, Murph gets a funny storyline that involves him eating a grenade, exploding, burping, and farting. Although that has you know bigger implications you know it was it was right. played for humor but obviously now we've learned something really big about murph that's definitely going to come into play yeah because otherwise it, it just seemed like pointlessly tacked onto an episode that already had plenty going on so yeah it's got to be important but um, murph being it, somewhat indestructible is a big deal is it even somewhat is it just completely indestructible yeah like there's just I, I did love Rock Talk saying, you know, what if you swallowed a photon grenade asking for a friend? Yeah, that was the best <laughs> use of asking for a friend I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, it should have been obvious to everyone what was going on there, but they were so busy with their own stuff. No one had any follow up questions for her, which you'd think you'd have follow up questions after something like that. But no, they're like, Meh. you know, you die. We got our <laughs> right. own stuff going on. Although I do think that Zero gave their usual chipper response that was full of gloom as soon as that happened, which made me That's laugh. <laughs> I mean, Zero, because you know, Zero doesn't have their own storyline in this, but Zero's part of Gwyn's story as a kind of guide. And I thought that that really worked here, but we did learn a little bit about how Zero was part of the what they called the Medusan hive mind. Yeah. Which you know sounds a little like the Borg, but it makes sense. The Medusans are telepathic, so they would have some kind of hive mind, one assumes, because you know, they could all hear each other. And, and I but assume it's they traumatic. don't all live in boxes and, and robot bodies <laughs> back yeah. home. So being extracted from that would be traumatic. But it also has me thinking, because being part of a hive mind, do you not retain some of these memories of the collective, or to, you know, to coin a phrase? Right. The knowledge, right? Yeah. Like the knowledge that others have found. They don't seem to have a lot of knowledge. Right. That's things. the surprising thing. So being extracted from the hive mind, maybe you forget things when you're not, you can't access the memories anymore. You you no longer remember them either, I guess. Unlike I Seven, know. who would remember Seven remembered all sorts of stuff all the time. Right, and we we don't know how the Medusan hive mind works, but I'm definitely looking forward to finding out for sure. So, getting back to the Chicote thing, if you all remember before the season started, my theory was Chicote and the other three actors they announced were the um, original crew of the Protostar. The Hagemans, when I asked them about it, said no, right? Mm -hmm. I was kind of right. Uh, Chicote is the captain. But in my interview with Aaron, he kind of explained, well, yes, he's the captain, but the rest of them aren't. So they thought I was asking about the other characters, not about Chicote. So he, you know, he's confirmed that. Which is surprising that when they announced these four characters, I they sounded like they were kind of a package deal, but apparently they're not a right. package deal. Right. It was just the timing of the announcement because all we heard about all four at the same time, except that we'd heard from Robert Beltran himself um, in Las Vegas that he was going to be on it. But yeah, he's definitely the former captain, but 
the others are not. So that's still a reveal to come in the future. But it does sound like you know, we don't get a lot of him, but you hear the word um, anomaly. anomaly and boarded. So those it sounds like he went back in time and stuff happened. <laughs> All from that tiny little snippet. <laughs> yeah, I assume... I mean, what now? What do you think this means for Hollow Janeway? Because why would Hollow Hollow Janeway be on the bridge with the captain if she's some training simulator? Maybe Hollow Janeway isn't a training program. Maybe she's more than that. She seemed to be acting like Chakotay's first officer, which is kind of ironic, right? Maybe he chose to have a holographic version of Janeway around as his first officer, some kind of. I don't know, karma or something? Who knows? Or something happened had happened to other people in the crew. Who knows? But certainly he wouldn't need a training hologram. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, there, there's something going on there. Um, and certainly you wouldn't use a ship like that to train cadets. We did learn that its mission was to go into the Delta Quadrant. So that's it's not a training ship. It has some other mission, right. which is still to be unveiled. But you don't send your fastest ship into the Delta Quadrant to train people you know that's no you know, that's you send chakotay and a crack team of people who you know and they they went back in time and the question is you know are they all I hate to say it but dead don't say right? it i just said it i mean i know let you know it could be a thousand years who knows how long it is but i'm guessing it's like a really long time this is like finding data's head you know in the cave in a in a way, right? It could be. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's interesting that um, Aaron mentioned that episode to you in your interview with him. Yeah. So there we go. So, <laughs> so I I do think that it's been a good amount of time. You know, before we move on, are there you know are there any other aspects? I mean, any things that you loved or Easter eggs or stuff like that? Yeah, I had a couple of highlights that I just want to mention because they filled me with delight. Uh, one was Dal when he first started the test. He asked for a show of hands. Does anybody know these people? <laughs> Which I just thought was so funny. Again, so kid like and so funny. I love that everybody's just horrified. <laughs> And then I think for sure they were making fun of that, of the very bad choice that Voyager made to put Janeway in those ridiculous, what I call wooshy wooshy hollow novels, like, oh, Lord Burley, whatever. And so right. they made it so hilariously boring and stupid. <laughs> she goes, this right. is my favorite, which, you know, all Voyager fans are like, why the hell was that her favorite? That was terrible. Um, and and they stopped doing it on the show. So I thought it was a really funny callback. And the other one was the Paxau Resort, which is um, one of the things that Neelix would run, right? The luau thing. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, and, there was, I mean, that, there were so many, you know, the, there was the toy from the game, the yeah. which Janeway makes fun of. Um, there's so Which many obviously Easter was eggs. missing some of the elements that had been added to it to take over the ship <laughs> because that would have right. been very inappropriate. Um, there of was course. the Amok Time fight with the music, with that classic music that The Simpsons uses all the time because they love it so much, but with the fight music. We've never done this for this show, but and we probably won't do it. But like every time we do an episode of Lower Decks, we run an article called, you know, the Easter eggs, because, of course, that show is chock full of Easter eggs. It's kind of part of the point of the show. It's been the opposite for Prodigy, but this episode could put up against any Lower Decks episode head to head on Easter egg counts for sure. Oh, yeah. We haven't mentioned a bunch of them. And and that's even if you wanted to if you wanted to go through and say where each line was from, too. I started going down that road. I mean, the kind of the bit, the big speech at the end of Spock was from the enemy within. Yes. And there was a little bit from talking, saying you remind me of another starship captain I know, which is from his appearance on TNG. There's just way too many to get into. I know. I mean, some of it are so generic. Like Odo grunting. <laughs> right. I love that he called Odo Jellyman. That was my favorite of all. the. And I was like, oh, so he must have in the parts we didn't see, he must have shapeshifted or something. <laughs> because how right. does he know he's a jelly man <laughs> right i mean they, he tried this thing over a hundred times yes 
he knew the Klingon proverb about a di- you know revenge being served right. cold. You know, so he probably learned that somewhere during the process. Oh, you know, something I want to get back to the diviner because there's something that I think is true, but maybe not. But because remember, Gwyn talked about her little armband thing. She called it an heirloom. The diviner seemed to have a cane. I think that cane in the flashback is her armband. What do you think? I think that makes sense. I can't see why it wouldn't be. He seems less frail now. Like something's happened in the last 17 years. I guess, you know, his tank has gotten, you know, more vitamins or whatever. And he's less, maybe he's another clone. Who knows, you know, but he doesn't need the cane anymore. This is the point. Right. He seemed more frail in that flashback. I mean, my only big, you know, this, this is going to be so nerdy. This is just over the top nerdy. Do my it. only nitpick about this episode is i mean this has kind of always bugged me about the kobayashi maru of if there is a no win scenario at starfleet academy and a famous one to make it work they'd have to constantly change it right because mm-hmm. if you're always running the same test like people will kind of you know it's like well Tell each a freighter other. and it, yeah so that kind of bugs me a little bit is that it's always the same but um, I mean, we know at least, you know, because Kirk's, you know, we saw Savick do it on the bridge of the refit Enterprise. Obviously, Kirk, when he did it, would have been on a different ship. So that shows they update it at least a little bit. And so why does the U.S. Protostar use the Enterprise D bridge and not its own bridge? And why the D, which has been destroyed at this point, I think 10 years before now, right? Um mm-hmm. And even weirder, you know, why are they? Why are the Klingons their zone? enemies? <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. So it's like a 23rd century scenario, pre Kittimer Accord, with the, you know, the older Enterprise. I mean, we know why they did all of that. Sure. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's nostalgia and, and all of that. But love. If you try to. For love. But if you try to fit it into the universe, and I did talk. Uh, to Aaron about this, and this is in my interview. He had it like a reasonable. He basically hand waved. He's like, "Well, maybe Dahl played with the settings." You know, he acknowledged it was that, and he said they just wanted to use the D. So I'm fine. But uh, maybe on my second or third pass, I'm like, "Does why are they doing it this way? Why aren't we?" You know, so yeah, I'm such a nerd. I can't help. No, it. I I actually think a lot of people are going to have that same reaction. I mean, I definitely was like, "This is a weird scenario." for this but it just i again i i i forgive those things more easily on this show for some reason it might just be my own bias because i jump all over like discovery and for doing things that i think are that doesn't make sense blah, 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 grump 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 so in my for, head canon every scenario that everyone does at Starfleet Academy, the Kobayashi Maru is different, but it always uses something called the Kobayashi Maru. You may be saving a ship or a person or a space station, but it might involve the Dominion or the Borg or that it's not always, you know, again with the Klingons, you know, like they they only had, I guess they only had good dialogue to use about Klingons. So they had to stick with them. I mean, they used literally the same audio from Star Trek Two. Right. And, you know, they, the, the description of the ship, it was all straight out of Star Trek II. And, although we never saw the ship in Star Trek II, so they used the ship from like a book cover, actually, and from Star Trek Online. I, I think they they were almost too slavish to canon. I mean, they, they could have mixed it up a little bit, but it's okay. It's okay. Now now we've gotten to the, the, you know, as I always say, once we get to this level, it's time to move on. It is. And we have some good... <laughs> Sound bites to roll in for you guys. So let's start with Annie and David's review before we get into the interview with Aaron. And they were so excited for me to bring them another episode of Prodigy. I had to explain the concept of a hiatus, which I'm not sure, that, <laughs> you know, and all that stuff. So, but they still remembered everything uh, and they really liked it. What I was surprised about is how much they are retaining and following the character arcs. Because all the Star Trek lore stuff kind of goes over their head. So this is David talking about what he liked regarding Dal and Gwyn. It was great. I love that um, that uh, D- Dal uh, finally realized that he had to listen to his crew more than listen to himself. 
and put in Scream 4. And I love that Janeway finally figured out that they weren't their, her first crew. And uh, they, um, but this is about the last episode, but I see how, um, now they figured out how the, um, Protostar, is they called that? Yeah. That, that it powers the ship and it goes really fast. And I like how they, um, and I like how, um, that, uh, Gwen, Gwen, right? Um, Gwen, um, um, helped them with everything and became part of the crew and, uh, went against her dad. That's what I like. He picked up on, I mean, nine-year-olds are smart, but he picked up on so much. I'm impressed. And just that he enjoyed it so much makes me so happy. But he's figured out, he's figuring out a lot. And he's, and he's getting all the changes in the characters. Yeah. I mean, at one point he was talking to me about, you know, he couldn't believe they went 4,000 light years. Like, I didn't even know he <laughs> knew what a light year was. I'm not sure he fully understands, but he knows it's like far. You know? Yeah. I mean, if you said 4,000 miles, that would sound like a lot too. I mean, not for a starship, but for a kid, just thinking of distance. Both of them are really coming along on their Star Trek. Let me just say. Good job, Tony. I could talk to them about the show and I feel they're using the terminology. They're they're getting it, uh, mostly. So in light of all the Star Trek lore, Tony asked them the right question, which which wanted to know, like, how did they react to all of those characters in the holodeck? And did they know any of them? Yeah, like I recognize the guy named Spock and not really any of the other people, except what? the guy that he called um, like Jello. I think he called one of the guys Jello or something. Jellyman? Jellyman, yeah. You recognize rec- him? Yeah, a little bit. And did the ship, did it? Did you recognize the ship at all? Um, not really, because you didn't really see like the outside of it. But well, they did show because at the at end, end he blew it up. blew it up, yeah, but I didn't really recognize it. What about you, David? Did you recognize any of those characters? I did recognize the ship because uh, remember when you were on that Zoom call once and you had the background <laughs> of the ship? That's true, and it's called the USS Enterprise. Do you remember that? No, okay. So uh, just listeners, so you know, I'm the one who told Tony we have to keep the part where <laughs> David mentions recognizing the ship because of Tony's Zoom background. <laughs> when was the last time he saw you with that Zoom background? A year, you know, over a year ago, because it was, you know, during the 2020 lockdown when we were doing family Zoom meetings and it was kind of probably a leftover from one of our Trek movie Zoom meetings where we do a episode watch and I must have had the Enterprise D background and uh, he remembered it. I love it. I thought that was adorable. I mean, I loved his whole take on all the characters and how he enjoyed the scene, even though he didn't know who they were. Mostly, like he recognizes the guy named Spock. Um, but, <laughs> but the Zoom background thing just won my heart. And Annie really enjoyed the scene for what it was. It was a test and he learned lessons and they're getting out of it what you need to get out of it. Whether you recognize Spock or not is immaterial, really. No, and that's the test of is it doing what it needs to do? And is it balancing you know, the nostalgia with the storytelling. And obviously it is, it doesn't matter that they didn't know who it was. It makes, it made no difference. That's a good time to start talking about my interview with Aaron, because they've taken a very light touch on Star Trek lore up to this point. And they made up for it. (laughs) Right. So I asked him like, you know, are you now doing at this level from now on?
appear on it, uh, perhaps as a compensation or overcompensation on my part uh, for us going so light on it earlier on as we're easing young and new audiences into the Star Trek universe. I don't blame him for overcompensating. <laughs> I can see the temptation. I think they did it well, but I, I think it's fun to hear his explanation of like, okay, so after holding back for so long, we finally just let it all out. There's a lot of Trek fans in the writer's room, but I think he's, he's probably the, the most Trekkie of the group. Certainly when I've talked to him, I met him at the party in Hollywood and he's gets it, you know, he's like Mike McMahon. He's like, um, Terry Metalis and Picard. But he's not the only one because I've been fo- some of the writers, um, especially like Julie and Shauna Benson, who are sisters. I was following them on Twitter before Prodigy, just as like writers, interesting TV writers and writers. And they would talk about Star Trek, like Julie in particular would talk about Star Trek a lot anyway. So he's not the only one for sure. For sure. But he's very steeped in the lore. So he he, he was chomping at the bit to do, to do this and i think that's that's kind of great um that he was that excited about it we also talked about why use the kobayashi maru and what it means from a character point of view and then in terms of like what the emotional meaning of the kobayashi maru was i think what's kind of interesting is it is a little bit of a a, a rorschach test in a way um because every Every character who has referenced it or taken it or whatnot seems to impart their own kind of lesson from it, even if it is just sort of like, how do you react to a hopeless situation? Uh, and I guess that's kind of the point. Um, so with Kirk, it, it, it's, I don't believe in hopeless situations. That's why he cheated, right? Uh, but for Dal, I think he's so used to being in a hopeless place. He just believes that if he just keeps throwing spaghetti at the wall, eventually he'll, he'll find a way to weasel his way out of it. And when he doesn't, uh, that's when he has to realize that maybe just his old tactics of survival for a kid that maybe hasn't had grown up in the best of circumstances and hasn't had a, a, a strong uh, parental figure who might should or a, a good uh, role model to emulate, as you'll see in later episodes, perhaps, um, that he has to kind of forge his own path. And it, who better to hear that, that, you know, it's not about you, it's about the, it's about them, uh, than from, you know, Mr. Spock himself, the, the ultimate voice of Star Trek, who, even if, if Dal doesn't know immediately who he is, the gravitas that Nimoy, uh, possesses, I, and him saying the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, uh, the idea that that could be a new idea to Dow and maybe even some of the kids watching at home uh, made me uh, a little emotional to think about. I agree with him a hundred percent. I mean, obviously I agree. He wrote it, so he knows, but I mean, I, all of this resonated with me um, and, and shows how carefully they did weave in character growth with this fun scene and, and understood the point of the Kobayashi Maru isn't just Kirk cheated. That's not the takeaway. The takeaway is why did he cheat? And the takeaway for everyone doing this is, is how do you react to this difficult, horrible scenario? And it fit in so beautifully with Dal as a character. So I, you know, it's, you can tell from watching it that they think about all these things, but I like hearing him talk about their thinking as they were creating it. It's great to get inside the minds of the writer's room. and You really start getting a sense of how seriously these guys are taking it and where they're taking the show. And just to be fair, I want to throw in, when I worked on After Trek the first season, it was the after show for Star Trek Discovery. And every time we got scripts and episodes in, I would email the writers and I got answers like this from them, like thoughtful, thorough answers that showed that whether everyone agrees with the decisions they made or not they certainly thought about it very deeply so and then obviously when you watch prodigy you can see that it's all there also now we've brought this up before which is is this episode too dense is there too much stuff going on because the time travel and all that so i asked aaron if this was a concern in the writer's room about getting a little too complicated especially for younger viewers 
I mean, we had talked about it, but then I just thought back to my, my own experience as a seven-year-old watching time travel movies and watching Time's Arrow and, like, staying up late at night thinking about, like, wait, so if Data's head was alive, but was in the ground for 500 years and they reattached it, but it, does that complete the time loop? So, like, I, I think ultimately myself and the Hagemans and all the writers in the writer's room uh, are of the firm belief of just write a good story. And uh, kid, kids, I think, are smarter than you might give them credit for. And even if there are a few elements that they don't totally wrap their heads around right away, they will, they'll intuitively start to understand and think about them, and they will might eventually understand them later. Uh, you know, I think a great example of that is Avengers Endgame, which I would argue, you know, has some time travel elements that I'm still trying to unpack in my brain, <laughs> but it was a hit movie, and I think kids love it. So, you know, <laughs> um, it's, I think there's stuff for hardcore, crunchy sci-fi fans, and then there's, and then there's the emotional truths that you can glom on as, as you go on this adventure with these characters. I'm so happy that they're thinking that way because I, even as a kid, I remember thinking things sometimes were too simple and, and too pandering and kids are really smart and the, the stories that they're into are very complicated. So I love that they're just thinking that this is the way to go. If kids miss some stuff, they'll get it again later, but treating your audience, no matter who that audience is, as if they're really smart is always a great idea. And kids pick up on things that adults don't even notice sometimes. For sure. And any Star Trek fan who went into the show or even dismissed the show as just some kind of kids Star Trek show that they're not going to be interested in should watch this episode. And you'll say, no, they are not afraid of going there on complicated sci-fi storytelling. So, you know, I applaud them for not holding back because uh, obviously they're setting up even more of that to come. Right. And look, kids don't just watch kids shows. Kids watch right now. We're not in a situation where it's like you're in your living room and everybody knows what you're watching. Kids are watching a lot more than you think they are. So they are being exposed to more complex stories. The last thing I really want to, I was, when you said you were interviewing Aaron, the one thing I really wanted to know was his process for creating that scene with all of the older, the, you know, legacy characters and all the dialogue and how he put it together. So Thank you for asking him to to dig into the details and tell us how he did it. Uh, I basically had to do, uh, uh, I had to create some algorithms uh, with the every Star Trek script ever written uh, in order to search the databases for relevant lines. I also wound up reading about, I think, probably 80 or 90 scripts and rewatching about 40 or 50 episodes top to bottom of Star Trek. And then once I found the lines that I thought could actually uh, were, I, I collected great lines from the characters we were using, knowing I, the, the shape of the story I wanted to tell, uh, which of course is the Kobayashi Maru scenario, but then how Dal would kind of, you know, interrupt that. Uh, and then proceeded to uh, go through, find, find the lines, try to line them up to make sure see if they could talk to each other and sounded like they were, they were all in the same room talking to each other. Then uh, cut those in. And then I went to the Star Trek archives, who thankfully have the remastered audio from uh, all the DVD sets and the movies and such. Uh, and I would give them the time code and the episode and say, please give me the cleanest just dialogue track of this line. And then we would cut it in. And then, then uh, our team at Audio Circus um, then they had, I think, a specialist who was able to clean up the audio as much as they could using modern technology. Uh, and obviously there's still, for some of the, the stuff like the 1960, that was recorded in like 1967 uh, or whatever, uh, it, it still has a little bit of like a guttural quality to it. But I think it's, that's almost charming in a way uh, because it, it does feel relatively seamless once you kind of buy into the wish fulfillment of it. Um, but there was a lot of, a lot of takes that didn't work for one reason or another. Maybe they were too far away from the microphone or the, the line just didn't work or the inflection was wrong. So it was a lot of back and forth and testing and, oh, this delivery of Live Long and Prosper wasn't work. What about this one? What about this one? He doesn't say it very often in the series, by the way. I was kind of surprised to learn that. I think he only <laughs> says it maybe six or seven times. 
it's insane, basically, what he did. And, you know, doing the math, it sounds like just the research portion for him doing this episode would have taken a couple weeks uh, to read all those scripts and to watch all those episodes. I mean, and this just shows I'm sure they're not spending this amount of time on every episode or at least, you know, but there's a lot of time goes into the post-production and the animation and all that which takes a very long time but this shows that there's also a huge lead time and a huge amount of effort going in in the writer's room with individual writers at a level we hadn't even thought of before and then all this stuff with the processing of the audio is just insane no yeah every piece of this must have taken forever but i loved his description of how he did it and i and it gives me even more appreciation for how well it all flowed together yeah. There's much more from my interview with him. You know, so you go to the site to read the full interview. He talks about Murph. He talks about deleted scenes, like that there was even more. You know, I said there was too much in this episode. He's like, oh, you know, there's even more you didn't even see, you know, about yeah. stuff Although from the code. I assume it was stuff they took it before they made, like it was in the writing, but probably wasn't. I don't think they can go that far as to, to delete scenes. To produce these right. and delete them. The, the, yeah, that's a, a bad term because people might think, you know, you'll see these someday. Right. Although they, they may have done animatics of some of this stuff. Who knows? You know, the, yeah, we maybe. don't know when, when it was cut, but uh, there was more to the whole Kobayashi Maru and some crazy fun stuff in there. You know, he confirmed they're already at work on the next batch of 20 episodes. This gets to the confusion of how do you define a season? They're, they're defining seasons as 20 episodes broken into two 10 episode chunks so they're now in the second 20 episodes so they've written 20 they're writing stuff now that we're not going to see for at least two years if not three or four years who knows right so they're way ahead ahead of the game yeah there's a lot of good stuff in there and the details that he gives on the things that were cut from that scene are pretty fun so go read it So let's transition to our bits of the week. Mine is returning to Star Trek Discovery, Blue Dabari. I mean, just another example of how this crew just love each other. Um, This cast, as it were. Uh, (laughs) Blue Dabari, for some reason, bought themselves a Christmas present (laughs) of a cameo from Anthony Rapp. And I'm just going to play you a little audio from it because it's just delightful. Hello. This is for real. For real, Blue, for real. I miss you too. I thought that was adorable when I first spotted it. Such a sweet, funny thing. And again, just shows the relationships these people have. So for mine this week... Um, Robert Hewitt Wolf, who was one of the Deep Space Nine writers, he was on. He wasn't on for every season. He left before they were done, um, and he also wrote a Next Generation episode. So he was celebrating the 29th, as we were, the 29th birthday of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and so he posted on Twitter. Does anyone have any questions about the show far away? And the thread, I mean, we'll put up a link to it. It's so full of great little tidbits you get other people chiming in like nana visitor chimed in and mike akuda who's great about finding people having intricate star trek discussions online although he was tagged in this one um to weigh in but he talked about so many there are so many tidbits whatever character you're interested in he talked about but he there were certain things that i really liked like he talked about how they really changed the role of dax once they saw terry farrell and saw that she was much more fun and funny than they expected and I guess initially they were thinking old man in a young woman's body but she didn't play it like that um and they so they just started adjusting it and making it work which I thought it did he talked about characters they discussed bringing back like Trelane they couldn't find the right story for um Cito from Lower Decks not the animated series but the next generation episode and then he talks about like their original plans for past tense there's a lot of good stuff in there so um i would highly recommend reading it and then i think the most sort of cheerful uplifting thing that i read was that someone said you know if paramount plus came knocking at your door or came to iris stephen bear for a limited series sequel would you do it and he was like sure so it's nice to know that he still would love to play with those characters 
he's a great follow on Twitter for sure. Oh uh, yeah. Not just, not just for Star Trek stuff, um, but uh, often for Star Trek and Deep Space Nine stuff. But if you're a writer, you should follow him because he often will just answer random questions about writing and he offers really great advice. So episode 73 of All oh, Access Star Trek <laughs> and our first of 2022. Happy New oh, Year. Yeah. Happy New Year, everyone. We've got four more Prodigy episodes before Discovery returns on February 10th. So we'll see you next Friday with All Access Star Trek. See you then. <laughs>